0: Welcome to the Music Maker Podcast. This is where we dive deep into the art of music creation, discussing the intricacies of music production, mindset, and the music industry, while connecting with your favorite artists in order to help you on your own musical journey. I'm your host, Flash89. Let's get into it. Yo, what is up? Welcome to another episode of the Music Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Flash89. Now, it's episode five, and this episode, I'm joined by Callum Reed. Who produces under the guys at Lezen and it's really cool actually he's killing it he's actually just won the your shot DJ competition in Adelaide taking it out as a wild card uh, I might add and not only that he hosts uh the, the vibe on fresh 92.7 so I'm stoked to have him on the podcast to talk and uh welcome brother it's good to be here man nice catching up 100 man it's good to see you um a lot's happened since we last caught up. I think last time we caught up was actually in when I was in
1: Adelaide, right? When we went down to Henley. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hanging out, um, had the gigantic coffee, and then come back here to uh, show off this space with my you know downstairs bedroom, aka music studio. <laughs> yeah, dude, are you still in the same place? Like you're the house that I uh, visited you at. Yeah, yeah. So I've been here for geez, two years now. Um, yep. Which I was actually I was at my parents' place the other night, and I was like. Crap! I've been living out of home for two years now, and it's just yeah. absolutely flown by the last couple of years. And yeah, um, yeah, it 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 very quickly stopped feeling um, like when you first move out of home, it's kind of a little bit daunting or whatever. And especially mm. moving into my own place, like it felt like I couldn't touch anything because it was so new and everything was really nice. Now yeah. it feels lived in, like there's dust and there's, you know, things yeah. and stuff. So it actually feels like my house, which is really nice.
0: Mate, wait, what do you wait until if you, if you ever have to like go home or visit for a bit and you're like, oh man, I just want my own space. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you, once you move back, you
1: can't go back. It was like low key kind of nice, like having dinner at mum and dad's. And I was just like, had a little like nap on the couch. <laughs> it was just like, oh, this feels nice. Like you kind of let your guard down when you move home for a little bit or, you know, mm. go over for the night. Um, so it was, it was really nice, but it's even nicer coming back to your own space again, of course. <laughs> I understand,
0: man. You know what? I always just miss like your parents cooking, like for you, like it sucks having
1: to grow up and make your own meals. <laughs> yeah. Actually adulting. And you, you don't realize like when you are growing up, you don't realize how much of adulting is just, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? <laughs> Bro,
0: literally, man. And
1: shopping, <laughs> oh, that's the worst. But anyway,
0: uh, <laughs> shout out to our parents for looking after us all those years. That's um, it. That's it. Yeah, man. So, um, in regards to music, like, you've had a lot going on in the last, is it the last month, right? I think it was the last month you actually took out the winning spot in um, Your Shot DJ competition, which
1: is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. No pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, finally my shot. No. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's the the first, uh, I guess, edition of Your Shot they've run in Adelaide. The competition's been running for, like, over a decade now, I think. And um, they've been doing it in the other major states and Sydney and Melbourne and that. But, yeah, first one in Adelaide, um, it, it was a bit of a a wild sort of trick because I literally just um, saw it come up as an advertisement on um, Instagram, I think it was, like a, a sponsored ad sort of thing. And mm. I sort of brushed past it and was like, oh, I know that it's primarily for just like contestants, you know, people who have no DJing experience at all. And mm. by this point, I've been DJing for over a decade. So I'm like, surely I can't enter in that. And mm. then the next couple of times it popped up, I was like, I'm just going to have a look. I'm just going to see, yeah. like, what it's about. You know, first one in Adelaide. That's kind of cool. Um, And I didn't realise they did this wildcard entry thing as well. So, that's mm. for experienced DJs who just don't have the opportunity to kind of showcase what they're capable of. Yeah. And, yeah, man, I just sort of went, screw it. I've, I've been waiting for an opportunity like this to showcase what I'm actually capable of. And that's been a real sort of... um I guess pain point for me is kind of not having those opportunities to really play the music that I love the most or um, not being sort of, I guess, had a a chance taken on me, so to speak, to really show off what I can do um, Mm. and in my own sort of lane, if that makes sense. But, yeah, Mm. I I put my name forwards and, um, yeah, they, they can do up to 50 wild cards. So, I compete against a bunch of other super talented DJs. And hmm. ended up coming away with the win overall, which, you know, first prize is a um, DJ set overseas, which will happen next year. Oh, wow, man. I, did, I didn't know that. That's yeah, one of me. the biggest festivals in the world overseas. There's a, a massive long list. Um, so I could be going to America, Canada, somewhere in Europe, New Zealand, somewhere in the world. That's um, incredible. Yeah, as well as all these other amazing sponsor prize packs from, you know, uh, Red Bull, JBL, Pioneer DJ. So, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a trip. I really knuckled down on trying to promote it all on socials and and um, share my journey, share my experience of the competition. I saw and, that. Um, It was really nice knowing that the the actual people running the competition sort of paid attention to that. I could see that the work I was putting in. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it all kind of came together on the day. Um. Even after. 10, 11 years of DJing. I was still absolutely packing it on the day, um, mm. head in my set. And, you know, I think it wasn't until after because I, I had to perform twice. So, I did my heat and then the main sort of set. And it wasn't until after that main set that I was like, I think I've done it. Like, I've given it my all
2: mm. and I think
1: I might have this. And um, mm. yeah, such such a wild experience. I was on a high for like a good fortnight afterwards. and. Mm. yeah i'm finally back down from cloud nine now but um mm. yeah absolute amazing experience all up bro
0: it's so cool to see yeah and you can definitely tell like you'd put i, I saw you putting on the work on socials and stuff like that just from an outside perspective i mean i'm into state and gold coast and i could see mm. all the effort you're putting in and stuff and i didn't know there were heats that's pretty so so with heats actually yeah. so you
1: were like were you saving your best for last Are you just coming out all guns blazing or was it just kind of how to work yeah, so they run the competition across both Saturday and Sunday um, because they have so many people competing. Mm. So they do like a, a Saturday slot and a Sunday slot um, with both the contestants and the wild cards. So for myself coming in as a wild card, I performed my heat on the Sunday. And what they then do is they pick a winner from the Saturday for each of the categories, pick a winner from the Sunday from each of the categories. And then the two winners from you know those categories compete against each other in the evening on Sunday night. Hmm. So, I competed against the Saturday wildcard winner, basically. Okay. Um, and um, the the notion is, you know, you, you jump up on stage, you perform your set or your routine, whatever, got a 25-minute set time and, you know, I did my thing. And then, again, that was sort of like, you're the Sunday wildcard winner. And literally from there, I've been like, you've won the Sunday wildcard slot. You're going straight back on to the main stage at Lion Arts Factory to play the same set again. And so, I literally was just like, plug my USB in, plug my headphones in, straight back into now DJing in front of about two, 300 people um, to do the same set routine again. And pray that I don't stuff anything up and can kind mm. of give it my all. Mm. Sure enough, knowing my luck, I literally stuffed up my first track, like, plugged my USB in, loaded up the first song, and we were running off one of those um, two-channel, like, Pioneer controllers. So, it was like an even playing field for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I accidentally pressed one of the hot cue buttons and started my Mm. track, like, halfway through. And I was just like, oh, of course. Like, I I can't show that I've just stuffed up my first track. Mm. Um, so I just, you know, went from there and, and I reckon I breathed for maybe the first three, four minutes of my set up on that stage, but yeah, um, you know, centered myself, chilled out, drew upon all the experiences and stuff I've had from DJing all these years. And, um, yeah, it ends up being one of the best sets that I've ever done. And, um, it was a unanimous kind of decision at the end. It was like, yep, Callum's going to be the winner. Um, just, you know, focused on crowd engagement and, um, Again, you know the the set list, the actual songs I was playing, I locked that down really quickly and could then focus my attention on the promoting aspect of the competition. Yep. Um, and then on the day, it was just like crowd engagement. How am I going to get these people who don't know who I am um, to, I guess, pay attention to me and and to listen into what I'm doing. And how did you sort of ta- Like, how was how did you tackle that
0: on the night? Then were you just like a lot of
1: energy? Yeah. So, I mean, my style of DJing primarily comes from doing a lot of house parties when I first started. So, I've always been someone who likes to mix fairly quickly and likes to- Like, I I focus primarily on doing my own edits and mashups and Mm. blending songs together, um, you know, doing that sort of double drop kind of setup, like what you do for like a drum and bass set or um, you know, my favourite DJ, Axwell, does it a lot as well. We'll sort of blend multiple choruses or drops over the top of each other. Mm. So, I do a lot of that stuff in my sets to keep the energy high and keep people engaged. Um, but it was it was interesting. I was walking around throughout the day looking at the other uh, wildcard entries and stuff, and everyone was playing really great music. It was a, an awesome vibe for the whole day. Yeah. But the one thing that really stood out to me was that, um, that there was that... I guess, missing component of the sort of showmanship that you kind of yeah. have to bring sometimes to DJ sets. Like Absolutely. not necessarily, you know, going full Fisher and doing the wrist flicks and all that yeah. sort of crap, but like that that's his showmanship sort of element. And mm. other DJs, it's, you know, jumping up and down, doing the heart hands and all that sort of crap. But I was like, I, I, I'm i going to do mm. the, um, you know, get everyone to sit down on the ground and then jump up when the drop hits kind of routine. Mm. Yep. It's, you know, it's super cringy and cheesy or whatever, but I know that it works and I know that it'll be this sort of visual cue, I guess, because I was I was performing at a silent disco stage mm. and I, I don't really like silent discos and the premise of it. I find it really yeah, hard to definitely. engage with people in that environment. Yeah. So I was like, how the hell do I get people to engage with what I'm playing where they can't actually- Like, you're just walking through the room. You can't hear what I'm doing. You have to tune in and and flick over to my channel. For sure. So, let's engage the visual sensors instead. Let's get everyone on the ground so that everyone else around is going, oh, crap, like, what's happening over there? Tune into my channel. Drop hits. Everyone's listening to me going nuts. And it worked. So, yeah, I did that both times. And on the main stage at Lion Arts, when I did that, you know, having 200 people in front of you jumping up and downs, you know, pretty, pretty epic feeling. Um, and Sweet. from there, you know, my set just kind of built in energy. Again, I already had the songs laid out. So I knew that it was just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, yeah, like I said, it was probably the best DJ set I've ever done. So good, bro. Can I just ask, so you, when you were saying that, so you had like multiple
0: sets there. So did you, you you had Silent Disco and then you had the main stage without the Silent Disco
1: and you sort of yeah did the same sort of process with them. The, the Yeah, dis- it was literally like, same set list. I did the same sort of like routine of, you know, jumping. That's so up. it's so good though
0: though. Up. But like cause silent discos, I, I agree. i I think the same as you. I'm like, oh man, like I don't know, I feel like a bit of a cop out sometimes, but to mm. to be able to have such a good response, like can they can be good, don't get me wrong. Mm. Um but to have such a good response, that's a really um smart way and also like a ballsy way. Cause mm. You know, people can sometimes go nah, fuck that. Like, you know, mm. and they don't they don't get into it. But I, I re- that's really cool, man. Like, congratulations, that's really good. It yeah, paid off. and
1: it was in the moment of just sort of thinking, um, yeah, how how can I get these people more engaged? Um, drawing upon, as I said, like ten years worth of DJing experience, and you know, there's a lot to be said, I think, for those early club gigs that I did when I first started. That you know, wasn't necessarily playing music I loved or it wasn't super passionate about the, the the craft, let's say, you know, mm. but was there as an entertainer, as a, you know, soul is to, to make people's nights the best that I could. That was my primary job. Not, you know, I think a lot of the time when it comes to having people who are like DJs and music producers, they kind of lose focus sometimes of what. What the role primarily is for the DJ? The DJ is there as an entertainer and to give people a good night, play records that you know people are going to have fun with and all that sort of stuff. The producer side, of course, you want to play your own music, you want to play stuff that um, you know is is artistic and creative and expressive, all that sort of stuff. Mm. I knew that going into this competition, it's a DJing competition, right? So I could have flooded my set with my own productions and yielded it by my ego and, you know, made it the most creative self-expression thing ever. And I probably would have lost because mm-hmm. that's yeah. not what the focus of the competition was. You know, it was just DJing. And yeah, some of the best DJs in the world are the ones who are, you know, getting the crowd the most hyped, you know. It doesn't matter if you're, yeah. um, you know, an underground sort of DJ, like your black coffee or whatever, or you're someone who's like- David Getter, and you're, you know, doing the heart hands and that kind of stuff. The goal as a DJ is crowd engagement and bringing people in to have a good night. So, in that moment, it was just like, what can I do to facilitate that? Really, brother, that's
0: so cool. It's really, um, like, you've taken a great deal of thought, and you hit them, you hit the nail on the head. Like, you actually saying that kind of was like a reminder to me that hey, because I, I'm the guy that you're talking about, like the mm. DJ producer, right? And I, I you can forget that you are there to entertain you know that's mm. why you get a lot of jaded producers they're like oh man i put so much work in and like um mm. why is that dj getting it and he doesn't even make mute boards because they're an entertainer at
1: the end of the day and you, you have mm. to take
0: your ego out of it so that's very cool man it sounds like yeah.
1: yeah and it's something that i've witnessed like you know not calling people out and naming names and stuff but it's definitely something that i've witnessed um throughout the years of even just attending gigs and concerts and things like that as well, man, where, Hmm. you know, some of the best nights that I've had out have been this perfect blend of both worlds. You know, one of the best club nights I've ever experienced was Zach Waters when he played at Electric Circus. And it was this- he, He was sort of right at this peak of the sort of Melbourne uh, big room kind of sound of, like, the mid-2010s. But he came in and played this, like, really dark kind of underground mix of trance and techno and all the other productions he was doing at the time. So, it was this really cool mix of just, like, the the DJ aspect where he was playing, you know, all these wicked underground sort of tracks and it was this real cool experience. But he managed to tie it in with his own productions as well. Yep. And- same for other artists where I've seen like like GTA were amazing. Oh, um, they were incredible. Yeah, yeah. And again, it was just that that perfect blend of of both worlds compared to artists where I've been super, super hyped to see them. Yeah. And they've not read the crowd once. They've not adjusted their set list mm-hmm. remotely to their audience that they're playing to. Yeah. And as you said, they they walk off jaded and they're like, oh, that was a that was a shit night. I'm like, yeah, mm. I wonder why. Like you're not mm. playing a single song that people recognise or yeah. can engage with, and really, just yeah, as yeah, much yeah. as like the the DJ DJ who, I guess, can sometimes then struggle more because they, uh, in in the current sort of climate, it's harder to get the same recognition as someone who's you know the the producer DJ, let's say, um, because you, you kind of in these days you want to have both. Uh, let's say that the just a sole DJing side of things. There is an element of like a bit of a ceiling yeah. um, to that, unless you're like Hot Dub Time Machine, in which case, of course, you've your whole thing is you mm. are just solely the DJ and you're yeah. an amazing performer. That's your thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. But that's few and far between. There's there's very few of those types of performers uh, in the current climate. I'd say. Mm, definitely it is a balancing act like you know you don't want to just sell out you don't want to
0: sell out and go full-on and play completely to the crowd but you don't want to be so into your own thing that you're not paying attention to the crowd at the end of the day it's like you're an entertainer but
1: also I don't know it's a, it's a tricky one hey but um mm. something to be aware of I reckon definitely for producers mm. um, and definitely I think if your goal is you want to balance both Djing and producing like I I sometimes get a chip on my shoulder where I'm like I'd really like to play at venue X or Y or Z or play this event or that event. Mm -hmm. And again, like, that's coming from my own ego and being like, I should have that opportunity or whatever. Mm -hmm. But- Yeah, you should as if like, as if you're like, you're entitled to it in a way. Yeah, yeah, almost. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. like, if I take a step back and really sort of self-analyze, I'm like, okay, well, if, if if I wanted to be a resident at venue, whatever, then I'm solely there as the DJ side of things. Mm. And that's not expressive enough for me to really feel fulfilled. Just as much as if I went into a a warm-up set for a really big artist, okay, well, cool. I'm going to, you know, play all my own music and show the world how great I am and all that kind of stuff. Like, both come from the wrong place. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If if you're the resident, and I know that you've done that yourself, like, um, you know, Countless awesome nights where I've you know, seen you play at venues like Electric Circus throughout the years and like having those experiences where it's like you're there, you're DJing, you're playing to the crowds, all of that kind of stuff. Um, versus, yeah, like having then also seen you do the Flash 89 thing and, and it's predominantly your own productions and stuff and that's hmm. equally as awesome, but it's hard to balance both sides and you've hmm. got to really step back and think about what your- primary objective is do you want to be Mm. the the artist do you want to be the DJ do you want to find somewhere in the middle Mm. and if you want to sit in the middle then there's going to be opportunities on either side you'll miss out on as a result of that
0: Mm. yeah very wise man 100 Mm. um yeah that's cool I you kind of reminded me about it all I didn't you know at the end of the day you are there to be an entertainer you almost have to think of like if you're trying to get gigs and stuff is like you have to think almost from a club promoter's point of view hey unless you have like the tie-in where you're like really tight with them and they'll just book you anyway you've really got to be like you know is it worth them paying me money in one of their DJ slots and am I going to bring am I going to bring people in to see me or am I going to amp the crowd up enough and yeah definitely I
1: think it it always ties back for me one of the best pieces of advice, like life, career, whatever you want to call it, advice Mm -hmm. um, is from a former content director at Fresh, Tom Martin. Mm -hmm. Um, He now produces commercial radio at, you know, some of the big stations here in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember when I first started at the radio station and, you know, my goal was always like, I want to have my own show, you know, that, that was my thing. And I remember having a meeting with him once and he said to me, You know, there are very few people in life in general who genuinely are good people who want to see other people around them succeed and who will sort of put their needs secondary to yours. The rest of the time, people are, you know, thinking about themselves. They're self-centered. They're thinking about what's in it for them, all of that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you're looking for an opportunity, whether it be through music or you know, life, career-wise, whatever. Um, don't think about why you should have the opportunity. Think about all of the reasons why you shouldn't have the opportunity and try to minimize and mitigate as many of those as you can mm. so that there is then, therefore, no reason why you shouldn't have the opportunity. Um, mm. I've taken that approach and that mindset even into my personal career as well, so into job interviews, and directly addressed the elephant in the room of being like, Hey, I know that, you know, I maybe don't have this qualification or, you know, this plays a factor or that plays a factor, directly addressing it, but then sort of explaining a way of how I can overcome that or whatever. And it's worked every single time um, to, I guess, yeah, address those things head on and have somebody else recognise that, you know, whatever preconceived idea as to why I shouldn't have this opportunity, you're wrong and here's why. Yeah, um, it's one of the best pieces of advice I think I've ever had. Very wise man, definitely. That's like good life, good life advice too. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and and from a music yeah. side of things, like I said, it's you know a nightclub promoter who'd look at you and go, mm. "Okay, well, yeah, you're an amazing talent. You make and play incredible music, but yeah, A, B, C, D, E. So you got to minimise those reasons. Yeah, in their mind, to them. Potentially have those opportunities, I guess, and it's all perception, man. Like, yeah, um, that that's something again that really frustrates me is how much of it is based on all of the politics of the scene and and this idea of how successful somebody else is and that perception. Mm. Um, You know, I I end since your shot come away with the win. I think I've had more people reach out to me on the back of that than. I've had in the last year you know what I mean because there's this perceived idea of oh oh you're doing well okay now we can talk you know what I mean yeah
0: no no absolutely dude um I've experienced that throughout my career and Mm. like and that's when it came to DJing and production and stuff and because you're because you know whatever you're into it can go in ebbs and flows right Mm. you notice that people dry up when you're not in a good run and then when you're in a good run like you said people start like kind of coming out of the woodwork sort of thing but yeah. well, I, I mean, know. it is what it is, hey. It's just part of the world we live in. But, it's, you know, you just got to play it to your advantage. That's cool, man. No.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's it, is knowing how the game kind of works in a way um, mm. and knowing how to work within it whilst also staying true to yourself. You know, like, I'm not- I'm never someone who, you know, wants to brown nose and kind of, you know, suck up to people for opportunities. Like, mm. if I'm really deserving of an opportunity then in my mind it's something that you know i've worked hard for and i've not had to kind of i don't know convince people that i'm deserving of if that makes sense
0: yeah man ever since i've known you you've been very authentic and mm. uh, when i saw that you won the competition i wasn't surprised but i was very happy for you because i was like yeah. i know how much work you've put in over the years like um thank you man no nah, it's well deserved man um well what I was going to ask you about is because um, you were mentioning the radio station just before as well. How does that come into play with um, what you're doing at the
1: moment? So originally, like I said before, I think it was always this this dream, or this goal of like, I, I, I want to have a show on the station. Um, it, it ties back into like how I first got into electronic music, really. Um, so I would have been about seven or eight years old. Um, hanging out at uh, my cousin's place up in Mount Barker. And, you know, all my older cousins were really into cars and video games. And they also listened to Fresh, um, you know, being the youth radio station here in Adelaide. Mm. Um, So, all of those facets kind of combining together had me listening to Fresh as well. Um, And for those who are listening who maybe don't know what the radio station is or what it's about, whatever. Um, Fresh 92.7 here in Adelaide is a community radio station. So uh, it's effectively run and hosted by volunteers and, you know, a handful of sort of paid staff. Um, But we are Adelaide's uh, youth radio station. Um, We're the second largest community radio station in the country. And our weekly listenership uh, branches over 200,000 individual listeners every single week. So, you know, we've sort of grown and grown, um, aside from very humble beginnings. I've been a part of the station now for about a decade. And yeah, like I said, it just stemmed from, you know, I grew up listening to the station. I always knew what it represented and what it meant, Um, particularly in the local scene, the influence that Fresh has had on the local electronic music scene. Mm. Um, I always kind of wanted to be a part of that. Mm. So, yeah, I, I fast forward to when I- would have been like 2013 2014 and i was actually at the um Clipsal 500 now the Adelaide 500 supercars race and um I was walking around and i bumped into uh now good friend Riley and he was DJing on a uh Red Bull sponsored car so it was like a Old London taxi looking thing that they'd like jacked up on massive wheels, off road tires and stuff, and had DJ gear in the back. So he was playing out the back of that, started packing up his gear. I just went up to him and was like, How the hell did you get this gig? You know, I've been DJing for like a year, maybe. I was just like, How did you get this opportunity? I want to, I want to do this. He's like, Oh, you know, I've got connections because I do a show on Fresh. And I was like, Bang, that's my end. That's my next sort of thing. I want to be a show host on Fresh. Mm. Um, so, I joined the station when I was in high school, did content work, sort of worked up. And as I say from this advice I received from the content manager at the time, Tom, um, found all the reasons why I shouldn't have a show. You know, I uh, wasn't confident in, enough and didn't have the on-air. Oh, experience. so he said that to you?
0: Did he, is that where he was like, yo, like, these are all where areas you're lacking and and you should
1: try and improve these? Yeah, straight up. And, hmm. and then gave me the opportunity for that. Uh, which is is the crucial part. Like I Fantastic. he knew that I loved music. He knew I knew electronic music inside now and, out and mm. could talk about dance music till my ears fell off kind of thing. <laughs> mm. But what I was lacking in them was okay, how do I do the the radio side effectively? The announcing mm. side, um how do I communicate a message and and keep my energy up on the radio without getting nervous? All of those kinds of elements, you know? Mm. Um so Every opportunity I then had at Fresh was towards this end goal of I want to have my own show Mm. and bridging those gaps, I guess, that I had within my skill set. And I guess now working as a, like, as a a trainer and a facilitator, that progression and that journey makes a lot more sense to me now. Um, Again, it's it's filling in those gaps for this end goal of I want to be a show host on the station. Yeah. I started doing 12 till 2 on a Saturday night and then have worked my way now to 6 till 8 on Friday nights. Oh, good spot, um, man. What well done. Yeah. And of, of all the specialty show sort of slots for us DJs, that's kind mm. of one of the, the main ones, which is amazing. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've been doing my show for seven years now. Mm. I do still go through seven phases. Years. That's a good um, effort, man.
0: That's cracker effort, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, it's was the other day, it's like more than 350 episodes be coming up to like around the 400 kind of Incredible, mark because it's it, it it's hard work doing that show like
0: like i actually had a show before fresh was in the building it is in now with mm. uber jacks and we had different names and like it is like it, you're doing it every week and you, you get to that good slot but it's like you got to show up every week and stuff and
1: you might love it but there's a lot of prep work that goes into it right yeah like i mean for me personally it's it's a a yes and no answer, I guess. Yes, okay. in the sense of like, I've got to go through, I've got to download new music, go through yeah. all these promos. I'm very fortunate that being a part of Fresh means I do get a lot of music sent to me. Yeah. So, I'm going through, and finding new tracks, going through promos. So, mm. there's a lot of time investment in that sense. Um, I guess I'm just fortunate because I'm also DJing on the side, I'd be doing that anyways.
0: Yeah, okay. So, yeah.
1: there's a lot of the prep work and, and investment and stuff that um, is stuff that I'd be doing in my own sort of, DJing world, anyways. Yeah. Yep. Um. So for me, the way I operate, I don't tend to pre-plan my set list for the radio show or anything. I literally just rock up and treat it like a DJ set. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, going through what are the new tunes I want to play. Yeah. Um. Can I do any cool like live mashups and blends on the station on on air? Sorry. Yep. Um. And also then go okay like. Let's dig through some older tunes and throw those on air and just, yeah, like I said, like it's a two-hour DJ set for me every single week. So um, good. I've got a old like tractor S2 here at home. That was my first controller. But other mm. than that, I haven't got any gear to practice DJing with. So it's, for me, just a cool opportunity to rock up, do my thing, practice DJing yeah, for two hours course. every week, you know? Live on
0: radio, so good, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, in terms of how it fits in with the current sort of thing for me, like I said, I still go through moments of um, more than anything, just like self-doubt, kind of looking at it being like, where does this fit in with with the bigger picture, you know? Like, um, mm. I think hosting a show- hosting, hosting a radio show on Fresh does mean something different now compared to when I first started. Mm. I think when I first started, it was still a very like underground focused station. And so, if you had a radio show on Fresh as a DJ, that was like the bee's knee. That was the peak in Adelaide kind of thing, you know? Like, Mm. everyone aspired to that. Whereas I think these days, because the the station's gone through a transition period and Mm -hmm. it's kind of alienated a lot more of the underground sort of listeners, let's say. There's there's still that sound on the station through us DJs in in the evenings, Mm. Mm. but the daytime product is a lot more polished a lot more professional sounding, a lot more accessible mm. genre-wise. Okay. So, that's kind of alienated the, the underground listenership throughout the day, which then means that when you say to someone, oh, I host a radio show on Fresh, it means something completely different now. Mm. Um. So, I don't feel like I personally get the same out of it that I used to back then. Back then, yeah. it was like, you're a radio show on Fresh, so we'll book you at this club because that's really cool and yeah, you okay. must be cool then. Nowadays, it's like, oh, cool, you you host a uh, radio show on Fresh and it's actually, I would say, probably more the, the business side that it actually benefits. Like, I can now reach out to artists or record labels and be like, I'm going to play your track on my show. This is how many listeners that we've got here at the station and it more benefits that side than the the local scene sort of aspect which is weird because we're a local radio station but yeah. that's my perception of it anyways yeah 100 percent. But it's pretty handy to have still like it's an it's an asset in either either
0: circumstance really mm, like yeah you know at the end of the day like if you're a dj to have a radio station is just and also like having it six to was it six to eight you said on a friday that's like yeah yeah peak weekend time man everyone's getting into the beers and stuff <laughs> like
1: <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's cool bro it's definitely uh well, I mean, when I first did my show and it was like twelve to two, you'd still get the 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 text and all that, but it was like people who had peaked well, too so. early and now they were heading home in the Uber. Yeah, <laughs> like it was less the like we're going into town kind of vibe. I did a I did a slot of ten to twelve. That was not too bad. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like Friday night, um, in the city here in Adelaide anyways, that's late night shopping. So yeah. there's a lot of people out and about and um, I've immediately felt a change, um, just with, with friends and and family stuff, colleagues at work being like, yeah, I, I actually heard you for once, you know, Yeah, uh, you've been doing your show for so long, but yeah, you know, I'm not listening to you at midnight. Um, but now six to eight on a Friday night, yeah, I'm out anyways, of course I'll listen to your show. Yeah. So yeah. I, I felt an immediate change in that sense for sure. Yeah, definitely, man, a hundred percent.
3: Um,
1: and.
0: Well, we've spoken about your, um, you know, you winning, taking out the winner spot on your shot, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, we've spoken about your Fresh 92, set your experience on Fresh 92.7, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't really spoken about your music at the moment. So mm-hmm. I'd love to ask, like, for those that haven't, you know, maybe heard um, much of your music, like, how would you describe the kind of records you're writing and and kind of what direction you're trying to go as an artist, as lesson.
1: Yeah, so originally when I first came up with the uh, the name and everything, so Le- Lezen is the Dutch translation of my surname. Uh, mm-hmm. So my last name's Reed, and yeah, it loosely sort of translates this word Lezen, which um, I kind of picked because a lot of my favorite artists when I first started are Dutch, so like Tiesto, yep. Hardwell, all these sorts of guys, and mm. Hardwell, his name. Uh, Is a literal translation of his surname, which is Vandekorpe. And so you take that and it literally translates to hard well. So Mm. that's how he came up with his name. And same with like, uh, is it Dioro as well? His name was like Diorison or something. Mm. So just took the Dioro bit. Um, So, uh, yeah, I wanted some sort of play on words. And initially it was like my sound is going to be influenced heavily by, you know, Dutch house music and all these Dutch artists what they're doing um I've always been a fan of Swedish house mafia and that sort of Swedish progressive mm. sort of sound quite melodic sort of stuff yeah very melodic um mm. very sort of it it's always got to be sort of driving have a groove to it um be danceable music and I I know it kind of sounds a bit stupid saying that it's like it's all dance music but there's for me, anyways, the the kind of dance music or electronic music that I really engage with the most is that really infectious, groovy um, mm. kind of stuff that just as soon as you hear it or you feel it on the dance floor, you can't not move. Yeah. Um, sometimes for me, if I'm listening to sp- certain genres or certain sounds or whatever, um, I don't know. For me personally, the the emotion isn't quite as there. So, it's got to be something that, um, yeah, evokes a feeling or an emotion, makes you want to dance, makes you want to sing or jump or, you know, whatever, as opposed to just sounding cool, if that kind of makes sense. No, oh, yeah, I um, totally get it. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, having little touches of sort of dirty Dutch, a little bit of touch of this Swedish progressive stuff. Um, I'm a huge fan of that sort of early 2000s, um, sort of I call it like camp dance sort of stuff, like very campy disco house influence stuff. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. The Weekend by Michael Gray. Um all oh, of those a, sorts that is a of tune. That is yeah, a tune. that's it. It's it's some of it's like sample bass, some of it's, you know, just more yeah, disco housey influence stuff. But there's always a tune, there's always a really catchy hook. Mm-hmm. Um I think for dance music it was during this interesting period where like you have brands like Ministry of Sound who are trying to constantly find like crossover records. Mm. But looking back now in hindsight, that's some of the most timeless pieces of dance music that people are now coming back to and sampling a lot, you know? Um, mm. So I think, yeah, that early 2000s, mid 2000s sort of era. Um, it was an incredible. Era it, was a, it was
0: it was an incredible era of dance music
1: that era, era as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I draw a lot of influence from that through all the the video games and sort of early influences I had. I'm really into um, trance music as well and that sort of late '90s ravey sort of style that's coming back in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but now I've also even really loved um, genres like hip hop and I've loved rock music. You know, groups like The Prodigy are massive inspirations for me. Um, yep. The Bloody Beetroots. Yep. So there's a lot of a lot of influences coming into my sound. Um, you know, I'm currently working on a, a, an album project at the moment. And Oh,
0: yeah. I did see you sort of um briefly mention that. I'd, yeah, yeah. Can,
1: yeah. So, yeah. that's going to be very all-encompassing of all the different sounds and genres that I like. I think that's why I find it so hard to, like, niche down and be like, I only play house music. I only play progressive music. Like, yeah. So I just, I play so many different types of music that I love.
2: Mm. And
1: again, because I started as a house party DJ. So, I I started fairly open format and I just get bored if I play one genre all the time. You know? <laughs> I, I yeah. have to be doing all different- All, all of the things, basically. Mm. Um, yeah, again, I don't know if it's just the way my brain's wired of constantly needing stimulation or whatever, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I've, I've just constantly got to be um, doing Yeah, different things, I guess. Um, No, it's cool, man. And it's good to have,
0: um, I think it's really good when you're in music to have um, like uh, multiple, I can't think of the word, I've gone a bit blank, but multiple interests, like, you know, be open Mm. to all styles of music. And I guess if you're not into something, at least I kind of appreciate it, you know, like I remember Mm. um, an Uber Jacked on the last episode and... You know, he's his style of he's an incredible producer, right? And um, but I've never really been to in like his interests of music, but I can appreciate mm. it. I can appreciate how difficult it is to make production in any mm. style, right? And I don't know. I think it's good to to listen to music and always
1: find something that you can appreciate in it. Definitely, and yeah, I I it's funny listening to that episode. You know, Ben was the first big interview I did at Fresh mm. and. Yep oh, man, I think back now I was like absolutely shitting myself when I interviewed him and stuff because that was like right mm. at the peak of, of his sort of success within the Melbourne bounce scene and everything. huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, so it was, it was really nice listening to that episode and and hearing how grounded Ben sort of is now and yeah. how he sort of found himself creatively and artistically and stuff. It was really awesome Um, and very similar as well where I'm like, I love seeing local talent succeed in whatever genre they're playing, you know, I mm. might not necessarily um, be going to play one of their records or anything, but just seeing that success and seeing that creativity spark, it's so, so cool. It's um, incredible. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely went, I definitely related to what he was saying because um, for me, my sort of uh, let's just call it, you know, dark period, as you're sort of calling like sure. around sort of 2016, 2017, when I pulled back from doing, all of my club DJing gigs, all my residencies, mm. um, just pulled a, pulled the pin on, on DJing altogether. That's when I really knuckled down to kind of find my creative spark. And, you know, I did a lot of travel during that time. I went to Japan and all through Scandinavia as well. And some of the best songs I've ever written were just completely letting go of, any notion of, like, what the song should be, you know, mm, mm. like the first EP and the first singles I ever released, one of them was, like, Synthwave, basically, um, mm. and very different to any other track I've pretty much released since. Mm. But that's also then been one of my most successful records where, you know, it got picked up by a couple of big channels on YouTube and it's been featured on, yeah, all sorts of- of. uh unique placements, let's just say. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's been one of my most successful songs um, compared to, I think, in in tracks where I've really tried to force it to be something. You know, I've been like, oh, okay, I need to make a remix of something and it needs to be a house remix of, you know, this sort of style or whatever. They've all been flops and have never done anything for me and I don't even play anymore because they don't feel authentic to me. Mm, yeah. Um, this whole album writing process has been really um, almost sort of therapeutic in that sense, because it's been cool. just completely letting go of my ego and just just writing and creating something that feels cool. Um, with that comes a bit of anxiety because you're just like, shit, I hope other people like this too. Um, but again, I I back what Ben was saying in the last episode of just being like you got to let go of that. you got to not care so much about what other people think and focus in on what you get out of it. Um, more so the process than the end product as well. Like um, the, the book that he was referencing there from Rick Rubin, Rick's uh, a real advocate on this notion that like focus on the process, not the end product, really. The end product will be what it will be. But if you focus on the process and enjoy that, then- that's how you get to a good end product, basically. Hundred percent. For those that um, don't know, that book is The Creative Act.
0: Um, mm. by I just, I just got it actually, and um, started listening to it after having spoken to Ben. And yeah, it's exactly that, man. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I found it really comforting. Like <laughs> I've just listening to on Audible, and because it's hard, right? Because as we were speaking before about earlier, in um, you know, with um, you're there to entertain, right? Mm. But you get into I feel like you get into the music side of things, the music making side of things to be creative and stuff. But like it's um it's like a slippery slope because you're trying to make something because you're really passionate about it and stuff, but then there's so much external noise that'll kind of manipulate that into other things, like, oh, this needs to be a certain style or it needs to be a certain way to for people to like it. And it's like at the end of the day, it's you're really just making it for you, right? And if someone likes it, awesome. But yeah, it's a tricky
1: one there's a element i think where because music isn't still isn't and and you know when i started this album process it wasn't because it wasn't my full time thing there's an element of um you know i'm not, i'm not relying on this to, yes. to be yes. a success and yes. and help me put food on the table kind of thing you know like i i don't envy artists who Rely on music as their sole source of income because that Mm -hmm. can lead to um, a a compromise sometimes in the the artistic uh, side and the creative side. Like I was thinking about this the other day. Like you look at someone like uh, Fred again right now, who's obviously blown up in the last few years. He had a lot of success quietly before he was Fred again. You know, he was writing for Ed Sheeran. He did stuff with Stormzy. So, he had success, but now he's Fred again. So, now he's a brand and he has all this pressure on him to Mm. innovate and be successful and have stuff that is both unique and creative and everything, but is also a financial success because he's a huge business now. And I can't imagine what kind of pressure that would be like, man. You know, I'm Mm. there working a normal nine to five and then doing music when I can. Um, So, there's no pressure on me. Like, Mm. I'm going to write stuff that I love. And as long as I love it, then that's kind of all that matters to me. Um, But, yeah, shit, man. If I was, you know, touring the world and had a million fans and all this sort of stuff, I've then effectively got to keep happy and manage the expectations of yeah, I can't imagine what that would be like, man. Um, yeah, it'd be tricky, I guess.
0: I don't know. Like, um, I think you just have, like,
1: I know what you mean. I'm just trying I'm trying to make sense of it. Hey. Yeah, because I think Ben touched a, as well last week, you know, to go back to that again, where you aren't feeling fulfilled in what you're doing, so you want to change your sound or whatever, but then you're managing all your fans' expectations of what they expect from you. And I think I'm kind of in this fortunate position still where, You know, I'm I'm not some mega star. I'm not touring nationally or anything like that. So, the music that I put out is not sort of tainted by this view of, like, it's got to be successful. Definitely. It's just solely, like, I get to make music that I love that is creative and expressive. I've got everything on this album from, like, um, sort of, Kay style, down tempo, sort of, hip-hop beats mm. all the way up to, um, I guess, more like breakbeat, trance-influenced stuff. Um, the One of the last tracks on there is going to have like hardstyle influences in it as well. So, it's like everything ranging from all different genres and stuff. And that to me is so creatively fulfilling mm. compared to if I open up a project and I'm like, time to write a house record, you know, it, it feels really stifling. And yes, definitely. that's where you start, like, building all these comparisons in. You know, you're like, well, if I'm going to write a house record and it's not as good as, like, freaking Dom Dollar or Casey Lights or something, then I'm not going to be happy. And I'm going to it. you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> compared definitely. to, yeah, if I just go in and I'm like, what do I feel like writing today? All right, let's see what I can come up with and and wait for that creative spark and then just roll with it. Um, yeah. That's kind of my writing process now, man, is just kind cool. of- find a a sound or an idea or just jam out on the on the keys until i find something that sparks that moment mm-hmm. oh, oh that sounds like such and such a song or that gives off this kind of genre vibe uh let's just follow that that path you know let's yeah, just let's see go what down that rabbit you. hole and see what comes from this you know
0: yeah yeah absolutely so let me ask you a question then mm. What happens if you make said album that you are making and then um, you got booked and all of a sudden you're playing co- as a full timer? Like, and you're pre- like, how would your mental, how would you approach that, do you reckon? Yeah, it's. And not get sucked into the, I've got to do this and it's got to be as good as my last album, and you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's a big one. Has it been as big as my last? It's really interesting. I've met couple of artists now uh, big Aussie artists who've had six like major major success in the past Yep. who maybe aren't as big now as they were back then Mm -hmm. and yeah I don't know part of me in those moments when I've met these artists has sort of been like I feel kind of sad for them in a way because they're not at that peak anymore you know whether it be they've Tried to shift genres and it hasn't worked, or the stuff that they're making hasn't um, stayed as current and as relevant or whatever. And, you know, that that changes everything for them. You know, maybe they mm. were playing at like freaking Tomorrowland and yeah. now they're working a normal nine to five. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've seen that not just in the music industry, man, but like in other sort of fields as well. Like, literally, people who I've um, looked up to within, like, the car racing scene, for example. Like, I'm massively into cars and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but, you know, there's a guy who I work with who um, he was the national champion for uh, drifting in Australia in 2007, I think it was. Yeah. And for various reasons, you know, he, he was at the top of his game, all these massive sponsors, all this sort of stuff happening. And... I literally had a poster of him in my bedroom as a kid man. And fast forward to, you know, a couple of years ago and I was teaching him how to do his job. So, it was this sort of weird sort of feeling of like, you're literally this person I've looked up to so much and you had all this success and this peak sort of moment. Mm. And I felt kind of awkward sort of saying this to him, but I was just like, how does it feel going from that to where you are now kind of thing? Mm. Um, And- I don't know. I feel like you find fulfillment in the little things, you know. I mm-hmm. ultimately know that if I had some success and it was short-lived, and then I came back home to a normal life, like I would have given it my all. Yeah, I would have left nothing on the table. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I would have have gone a hundred percent, all all chips on black kind of thing, and. Mm-hmm. Then being able to step back and say, geez, that was good. You know, yeah, that's I've got, cool. And oh, in other things in life, like, you know, I've at that point, maybe it's I've got a family, you know, I'm still with my current partner and, and yeah. got a roof over my head. Like, you find those fulfillments and this happiness, um, that happiness and in, in other things in life. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be mad if I, you know, was at the top of my game and then, you know, did a follow up album and it completely flopped because I would just go, okay, well, it's still the best that I can do. So, mm. you know, for me, it's still fulfilling. For me, it's still, uh, you know, the best thing I've ever done. And if an audience doesn't like that, so be it. I'm still yeah. doing this for me, though. Yeah. Um, I look to artists like Daft Punk, I think, more than anything for that, because oh, you God. think about- like, I'm such a fanboy. Goes- <laughs> yeah, dude. You think about, like, what they really did, like they- They produced some of the best pieces of electronic music, timeless records, and I don't think there's a single moment in their entire career where you could argue they sold out. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, literally.
0: You can sense it from their records and all their creative decisions.
1: Yeah, and I aspire to that more than I aspire to like super mega international DJ. When I started, for sure, I was like, I want to be like DJ Mag, top 100, woo. And now it's just shifted completely to be like, I just want to make stuff that is unique and creative and fulfilling. And again, looking to artists like Daft Punk, I look to artists like Porter Robinson, who realistically in, in his moment of like the early 2010s, he was one of the biggest DJs blowing up in the scene, you know, doing all the electro house kind of main room stuff. And then he just dropped off the face of the earth and then came back with an album that sounded like J-pop, you know what I mean? And all this like kooky, creative kind of stuff. Mm. Um, And that to me is so much more inspiring than, you know, I've written 50 million records that all sound identical, I guess. And I've had heaps of success as a result. Yeah, man. It sounds like you've got a lot of awareness of like
0: yourself as a person. Just mm. speaking to you, like you know, you've as we've spoken, you've referenced your ego a lot. Mm. Have you? Yeah, is that is that just me noticing that, or have you taken <laughs> like you know, um, have you put much effort into getting to that point? You know,
1: yeah, I I definitely still um, like I said before, I think because I had this moment of like pulling back from. Doing all the club gigs and kind of stepping away from the scene for a little while. I still do my radio show in Amongst It All, but yeah. um yeah, I went through or have have been through, you know, multiple kind of major depressive episodes and really, yeah. really tricky periods of, of my life. Mm. Um and I guess trying to find a lot of a lot of meaning in um in Amongst the Madness, whether it be like mm. The meaning behind my thoughts and actions, or the thoughts and actions of other people, mm-hmm. I've I've always been a very like analytical person. I've always been yeah. someone who wants to know the reason why, and and yeah, yeah, always been someone who kind of looks beyond just like the surface value. So yeah. for me, you know, I'm I hold a lot of empathy, and I'm someone who, um. Yeah, I guess once wants, once wants to cut through the noise, sort of thing, man. Like no bullshit, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So definitely, it's I'm I'm very introspective, and I'm someone who both my strength and weakness is that I am very analytical of and critical of myself. Um, so in in one breath, I'll be like carefree you know create whatever i want in life and everything's dandy sweet and dandy compared to like i literally still with this your shot thing felt like i'd rock up and there would be nobody there for me and was like yeah. my biggest critic and absolutely yeah. shitting it you know mm-hmm. so yeah i'm i'm very um very self aware and that's it's definitely by design it's definitely you know i try to be um, put a lot of emphasis and focus on that. But uh I think it was during the um chat that you had with Mitch, Needs No Sleep, as well, where you're kind mm-hmm. of talking about like analysis paralysis kind of stuff a bit, I think. Yeah. And oh, I'm the the biggest culprit of that. I think it's it's why I've not released more music in the past, man. I've had all sorts of tracks mm-hmm. that I've really believed in and really loved, and they've never seen the light of day just because uh for whatever reason, I just pulled the pin on it and just went, you know, people aren't going to like this, so I will, no- I won't release it. And having a lot of that self doubt, I guess. Um, mm. I'm, I'm still quite a introverted, anxious kind of person, and um, I definitely struggle in the nightclub events kind of world where it is very socially driven. Yeah, um, you know, I find it really tiring, and I, to be quite honest, man, I'd rather just stay home. <laughs> Dude, mate, uh, to the fire, bro. Yeah, I'm I'm the the lover of music, not the lover of partying, let's just say. Uh yeah, I party harder than anyone, but I'm not that person the majority of the time. You know, I'm a massive nerd and proud of that. Um mate, yeah, to be a definitely... producer,
0: you have to be a a friggin nerd. Like <laughs> like there's just no way around it. You got to sit in a dark room most of the time in front of a computer, right? So yeah. I think any producer, any music maker, it has to have some element of nerd. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I grew up as a gamer, man. So I could sit in front of a TV playing car racing games for 12 hours straight. I can do this music stuff, no problem. Um, in terms of, you know, the the act of sitting in your room and, and working in front of a computer all day, every day. I could do that, no problem. Um, that would be my idea of heaven. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's again the fact of like, if your sole career is is music, then you're not just doing it for yourself 100% of the time. The lucky few can do that. Yeah. Um, but even, like, I, I think about artists like um, Tom Starr. He's one of my favourite producers, one of the best in the scene. Oh, yeah. Not many people realise how much production work he actually does for other people. And that's how he, he makes a living, really, is he goes producers and mixes yep. and masters with so many other people. Yeah. But then he's also such a prolific artist himself in, you know, having now two artist profiles. Who's his other things. one? What's, what's his other one? Uh Ango Tamarin. Oh, I don't think oh wait, no, yeah. What's I I've like, that... um, got day. some releases on Black Book with Chris Lake's label. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, couple of uh big like remixes and stuff he's done recently. Um I could you'd really dig his stuff on the Ango Tamarin side, like yeah. Tom Star side's more the main roomy kind of aspect. Well I used
0: to I used to love Tom Starr, man, when um mm. when he when I when he first sort of I think started Tom Starr, he was he was making like wild shit. Like mm. Mm. stuff really unique. Not that he isn't now, but like that's what got my attention. I didn't know he does another it's cool, man, when you hear these acts that disappear and you find out they just change their name and they're still I find that's that's so refreshing to me mm. to know that at the end of the day you could just start a new project and mm you know when I was speaking to Mitch he made reference to um who was it oh, I can't remember that I've just had a mental blank he's a UK house guy did you listen to the episode do you know I did yeah yeah I think I know I can Un- sorry yeah 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 and he was just saying like you know like yeah this is his one of it like not his first alias I think it's his third that's taken off and it's just mm-hmm. I don't know that's just there's a little bit of uh, comfort knowing that I don't know there's always opportunity right
1: yeah 100 percent 100 percent and I've done a little bit of that. I've got two other artist profiles that I release under. Um, one's uh, Simpsons reference, which is Miguel Sanchez. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the moment where um, Lionel Hutz uh, is babysitting the Simpsons kids and he burns all of his documents and it's like, the um, what does he say? So the Lionel Hutz, the man you once knew is no more. Say hello to Miguel Sanchez. <laughs> and so it's a reference to that. I've been like... Yeah. screw what you know in the past here's who i am kind of thing um mm, and that's, that's more cool. of the like housey techie kind of stuff like what oh, you yeah. make yeah um and i did an official remix for milky chance on that profile so that's the only track i've released under that so far i didn't um, even know
0: you did that man that's pretty cool man, yeah, man.
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so i've them, had bro, yeah yeah i've done that sort of thing and then uh the other one is um anderson which is like a uh matrix reference to mr anderson yeah yeah um mr and yeah, yeah. So, like that one is more for like heavier sort of music, like drum and bass, bass mm. house. Um, uh, ideally going to do more sort of um, UK dub plate kind of vibe on that as well. Yeah. So I got a couple of tunes that I'm going to be releasing on the side with all of that, as well as all the laser and stuff with my album. And yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, vibe.
0: So cool, man. Mm. Well, yeah, it's just it's just cool that there's you know, there's no limits on like the expression, you know, you can go make all those styles, you know, you just put it under a different banner. And because I find reflecting on my records that I've made, I, um, sometimes I felt like i jump around too much and I might alienate my listeners a little bit. And while everything we've discussed, you don't want to, um, you don't want to try and make stuff for other people, but at the same time, you don't want to fucking confuse them in my, yeah. in my opinion, like, and that's not from like a coming from like a i want them to i want to try and please them it's coming from like a oh no i want my style to make sense Mm. you know um
1: that's just definitely still got to be consistency and yeah again i really appreciate when artists have that let's just say like consistent thread through their productions or through their music that that to me is what signifies uh a, a, a producer who really I guess kind of takes off. Like, Mm. I think right now, like, man, the moment in the Aussie scene being Dom Dollar, like, you Mm. think to all of his most recent records and yes, they are all house tracks, but there are certain elements within them that are consistent kind of threads or like they're not complete copy paste jobs, Mm. but- they still have like similar sort of feel i guess is, is the way to describe it definitely. um some people call that like your artist sound or whatever it might be but um you you can definitely tell a, a dom dollar produced record from you know uh, uh, who's a ferret dawn he's he's one where like yes big you claps. Hear, Huge yeah that's it you hear the big claps you know like, oh that's a ferret dawn yeah. track you yeah know? yeah yeah um and again the house is saying, like, uh, I think it's pronounced Guz, G-U-Z. Um, has got that oh, yeah. sort of bass groove that um has kind of taken off for him, and um, yeah, you you want that to your music, like having a, yes. a distinctive piece. For me, it's a lot of yeah, '80s and '90s kind of retro influence stuff, uh, retro synths, a very analog sort of feeling. Um, I love having uh, big sort of atmospheric pad sounds and and having those sorts of, you know, emotive, hand in the air kind of moments within all genres, you know. Um, so, that that's what kind of drives me and motivates me with my mm. music and trying to, I guess, identify what my sound is, so to speak, mm. um, so that that way this album is a consistent thread whilst also touching lots of different genres you know yeah
0: definitely man tricky. <laughs> tricky yeah I think it's just maybe having again like maybe a bit of an awareness to it and it comes mm-hmm. to like like you said all the sounds you're using just having it um getting maybe con- a little bit of consistency with certain types of sounds, certain types of rhythms, certain like sound selection in terms of sample, actual sample drum samples like that. When I think of Dom Dollar, I can, you know, I just, he has a certain, he pro- I feel like he programs his drums in a certain way that are very familiar. Mm. And same with his bass lines as well. Mm. But, um, who else did you mention there? There's just, yeah, I just noticed all the acts that are really doing consistently well, are the ones that have some consistency in their sound, you know, but mm. it's not a copy and paste
1: job. Like there is, you know, there's room for a variety in there. So that's cool. Yeah. 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 One, of, one of Dom's early remixes that I still play is his remix of Down Like This by Motes. That one's a yeah. really cool club remix. And the bass groove on that still feels like his current release is like Eat Your Man. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of as you say, having that consistency and having your thing. I I personally I really struggle with like drum programming and stuff. Um mm. so I try to focus more on yeah on the the synths and, and those sorts of things. Mm. Um trying to find little hacks within Ableton, which is my door, um, to you know, overcome a, a lack of music theory knowledge and you know, focus more on feeling and emotion and um I definitely still like we want to you want to stay in key and all that kind of stuff but like finding little hacks within the software so that I can do that whilst still just kind of jamming out and and whatnot um my, a lot of my melodies and stuff are all improvised or writing them out and stuff um but yeah like I said trying to kind of treat it treat it like how how Uber Jack was described like a video hmm. game. Yeah, you know, I treat it very similarly in terms of my workflow and um that that comes through in my songs, I feel like. Like yeah. you can kind of hear and feel the parameters I've set for myself and the limitations I've placed on myself in order to write a song, um without it feeling too copy-paste, if that kind of makes sense. Definitely,
0: man. Um I think, like, yeah, the I, mo- I reckon most producers, a lot of them, would start as DJs, right? Like I'm the mm. same. Like I started as a DJ, so I wasn't classically trained or anything like that. And mm. it's constantly finding out ways around the limitations, right, mm. without being able to just play an orchestra
1: off the bat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you heard of Core Jam? Core Jam. Uh, I have. I think heard of her. I was using. There's one online. Um, that I was using that um, just like a, a web-based thing that is very similar to Chord Jam. Yeah. Um, we can literally just like effectively like just type in the Chord. So thing, and it would actually export it as MIDI that you can then drop into your project. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so that was like a web-based thing. I actually, um, I use uh, in Ableton, there's a, a MIDI effect called Scale and- Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah. So within that. There's different presets that Ableton has set. Um, if if ever there was a cheat code to writing music, this mm. is it. Um, mm. And you can basically go down. They've got a um, preset for a uh, major scale and a minor scale. Mm-hmm. I think in- I'm, just, I'm actually opening Ableton just to quickly double check it. But yeah. um, in older versions, it's called like C major or C minor. Yeah. Um, but then there's a little wheel where you can turn it to whatever um, sort of root note you want. So, if you want yeah. it in D minor or F minor, A minor, you just turn the wheel. Yeah. I literally put that on all my MIDI tracks and then I can play my piano like I normally would uh, in the background here and yeah, you know, play chords, play melodies, whatever. And I'll always be in key no matter what. That's so it cool. That's whatever MIDI note you play into that scale you're trying to play in. So it plays it in the scale but
0: it doesn't make your notes that you're hitting a chord it's just you're just makes it it just makes everything in key right
1: Yeah yeah and cool. you, there are again you've got a chord plugin within um uh, the MIDI effects thing in Ableton I don't use that one but okay. um cuz I I do at least have the basic understanding of you know whether you're playing a, a third or a fourth or a fifth and those sorts of things yeah, so yeah. I'm still kind of if you were watching me in the studio, it's still very clunky. It's still like, ooh, third note, 7th third. Ah, <laughs> I'm the same door. Right yeah. Yeah. But like yeah. I'm like one, you know, two,
3: three,
0: four.
1: Yeah, like you know, major amount you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So whether I'm doing that or I'm writing them in, no matter mm-hmm. what note is there, MIDI note is there, um, it converts that to the next nearest yeah. note yeah. within the scale. Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely, man. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I think I uh, reference chordgen. You know, I haven't made a record with it yet, but I was having a bash around with it just before because, like, it's it's similar, but it just you can select your key and it'll play a whole bunch of different chord progressions depending what key you you choose. Mm. And um, for me, it's like you know when you I don't know if you've ever been like this, but every time I meet another musician, I'm like, oh, what do you play? Oh, you play piano. We should work together, like you know, because mm. you're like you know you'd love to use their skills together collaboratively but this kind of is like having someone that knows how to play his keys, except you get to choose the keys. So yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah. Very much. And yeah, for anyone
0: listening, it'd be scales, like you said, and chord, chord jam is cool as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing that I have quite often done in tracks is um, within Ableton, you can extract the melody or harmony of samples. So I'll do that quite a lot is I'll find a like sample where it's like a melody loop or a bass a line idea. groove or whatever yeah. it might be. Mm. And then you, rather than using that, because I, I might like the melody, but I might not like the sound they've actually used, like the yeah. actual instrument. Definitely. So, I'll just right click, extract melody or extract harmony or whatever. It it doesn't do a great job. It does a good enough job and you still have to kind of adjust things and draw stuff in or whatever. Mm. Um, But I'll use that a lot to s- like if I'm really struggling to kind of come up with a groove um i'll i'll use that to at least have a starting point um particularly as i said like i'm not musically uh trained in any way so you know i'll often go to my um i guess sort of favorite scales let's say like oh, Heaps of my records are right in F sharp minor for whatever reason. It's like my oh, favorite really? scale. I'm, all, I'm always um, in G minor, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So around yeah. that sort of mark, I'm always writing stuff in. Um, yeah. So it's a good way for me to break out of that habit. And yeah, definitely. Find like a loop that sounds really cool, extract the melody from that, and then transpose it to a different scale or whatever. Like just sort of breaking the system to kind of, yeah, break my own... Um, preconceived ideas of, like, how I should write a song and and break those boundaries I set for myself, like I said before. Yeah, just about being more creative, hey,
0: like, because I think when you're producing um, at whatever level, depending on, say, if, say if you're programming a bass line, there's only so many combinations you have banging it out on the keyboard, right? And then, like, by doing these little strategies, like, you know, like you just said, with a, um, using a sample or chord jam or scales, or whatever, like, mm-hmm. these
1: just give you, like, a... A different starting point, usually. Mm, mm. I, I, you know, I'm I'm not someone who writes a song the same way every time. Like some producers will be like, oh, I always start with the drums, or I always yeah. start with the bass line, whatever. I I can't do that because I write so many different kinds of music and different genres. Yeah. So the way that I operate now, like I said, is like finding that creative spark, that sounds, that idea, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different every time. Sometimes it might be I find a preset that sounds cool. Even like midway through a project, like if I find a preset that sounds really cool and um, I, I go like, oh, that could write a really cool record in this genre, I will like stop what I'm doing, open up a brand new Ableton project, take that preset with me and just get the idea out while it's it's there kind of thing. Like spend 30 minutes just bumping something out yep. and i can always come back to that other project later but while you've got that creative sort of moment that little spark i try to get pen to paper as quickly as i can yeah for sure. um, and you know some people will do that with like voice memos and stuff like that as well like record yep. it into their phone if a melody comes to their mind or you know whatever it might be but i guess that's again just like a practical example within the software of how i'll just like you yeah, again, maybe it's like ADHD brain or something, but I'll like stop what I'm doing, get distracted by something and then hit the ground running with it, like just mm. to get pen to paper, you know? Absolutely, man. It's definitely. It's about staying creative, right? Yeah. Just, yeah, just let yeah. it flow. Yeah. Yeah. That That's having that workflow and having that flow state kind of thing. Um, when I worked with uh, Oddmog, he and I worked on a track together a few years ago mm. uh, when I was still living at home. Uh, so, he came over to my parents' house and we are in my bedroom jamming out. And he took the, took the steering wheel, so to speak, and was was running Ableton. And at that point, I'd never really collaborated with anyone musically before. So, mm. like, it was such an overwhelming experience, not just because I, I'm a massive fan of his, but also the fact that his workflow is so damn fast. Yep. <laughs> he was just bang, 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 bang. And I'm sitting back being like, what about that clap? Shouldn't we go back and fix that? Like, that's yeah. a little bit off. He's like... Dude, worry about that later. Let's just get every idea in our head down. And he yeah. was asking me- it, it was really confronting in one moment because he was asking me to um, say like a vocal idea uh, for, you know, like a vocal hook or, you know, the little pre-drop vocal or whatever. Mm. And I just froze, man. Like I couldn't come up with anything in that moment because I was like over-analyzing it to yeah. the nth degree and being like, well, i got to say something cool but not so cool that it catches people off guard and it can't be cringy and- I just froze. I couldn't say anything. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you listen to some of his records, like it's literally just the words, like I'm losing control. Or, I think I'm losing control or feeling free ecstasy. Like it doesn't need to be anything yeah. wild or crazy. 100% just, man. To be something, get something down onto paper. Mm. And I froze, I couldn't think of anything.
3: <laughs> so, no, right. yeah.
1: like I said, it, I've changed that perspective a lot from like, analysis paralysis and just like overthinking shit right now just taking that step back and being like whatever it is get it out of your head onto paper Mm. judge it once it's done like don't actually question whether it's good or bad or whatever until it's finished that's another rick rubin trick that one yeah that's really interesting i like thanks for sharing that
0: man that's a really cool story um Mm. I'm just reflecting on my experiences and situations. Like I'm I'm very much like you, man. It's probably why we get along. Like I'm Mm -hmm. very analytical and stuff like that. Like my day job and you know is all about that. But um Mm. I've found yeah, when you get into a studio with someone, you can it's almost like going on a date, really. It's like you're you're you can get quite quite (laughs) self you can get quite self-conscious. You're like, Yeah, what are they thinking? Oh my god, maybe I'm I don't look I'm not, not moving fast enough. And then I kind of had a similar experience with um Wongo Wongo same thing Wongo back then um came over to my place I think so he was on my he was taking the wheel on my session Mm. and he was so fucking quick and I was like damn like Mm. he's not even like I it was my shortcuts he was just like you know um and then lastly you were saying that like um you can think about it later Mm. I've noticed I've, I've finished an EP recently, and I finished the, the the next bunch of demos to follow that. And both I'm pretty I'm really happy with the lead singles. They're proper singles with a vocalist, and mm. I did the vocals for the the other one. Yeah, yeah. But um, but to finish those, I had to remix both mm-hmm. singles twice. Mm-hmm. Like, like the first one, I like, and it just kind of go. It's trying to my point that I'm getting to is you've like you've just got to get it out and it mm-hmm. and judge it after like mm. you said, that's such a good, a really useful thing for producers, I think, because you can get so caught up with like, it's just not hitting the mark straight away. Like it's not yeah. a banger already. And if it's, it's just about getting the creative stuff down. Right.
3: Mm. And
0: then like, after I finished that first idea, I sat on it for a couple of weeks and I was like, look, it's just not doing the, the top line justice. And so I did it again. I did another remix, finished it from start to finish. And I was like, yeah, cool. thought it was the one. And mm. then I th- sat on it for a bit again. And I was like, no, this is not hitting the mark. And then I did it again. And the third time to me, so it took me three attempts to get this right. But by then I was like, no, super stoked with that. So I think the the take-home message that I'm taking from it is like, just judge it after, be as creative as you can, get all the stuff in there. You don't know what's going to be useful for the next project. And then it can still come to light.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think my professional career has helped a lot with my mindset when producing. Like I, I as I don't get enough time to write music these days, which is a bummer, but the the mentality shift that I've had because of my professional career. So, mm. you know, there's this notion of what's called a MVP or a minimum viable product. And the business I work for is focusing a lot on that right now. So, the idea is that rather than having this huge ambitious project where you're going to change the world, start with the minimum viable product. So, start with the absolute minimum that you can do to call it a success and then develop it and build it over time. Mm. So, that's a a project management kind of mindset, so to speak. And I've taken that approach with a lot more of my uh, songwriting as well. I It was funny, I realised I was already kind of doing it, but not being able to articulate what it really looked like, I guess. So, um a, a good example practically is a song that I started the idea for when I was in Japan. And mm. it was I had like the basic drums, the melody, chords, bass line, like the basic core of it. So for like a house record, you could be like, I've got the drop, I've got the the hook, the melody, whatever it might be. But it's like it's an idea still. It's it's not a fully fledged song. Mm. So you want to just kind of Take it from this little drop or this little chorus or whatever, this little idea. Turn it at least into a song. You know, it doesn't need to be fully blended and mixed and whatever. But just like lay down a basic arrangement, have the idea out of your head from start to finish, and you can then build on it and progress it over time until it is something that is fully fledged, it's finished, and then close that chapter. You can learn more from looking back on that finished song in hindsight than you can from starting lots and lots and lots of ideas. Yes. Um, So, like, again, like, I feel like the artists who do the best are the ones who are great finishers and the ones who create lots and lots of ideas but never fully execute on the idea, never truly learn from it. And I can only say it because I've been that person. Mm. I still am that person a lot of the time. But, again, I feel like I learn the most from the songs I've finished, close the chapter on and move past, regardless of whether I've released them or not. Because that's, I think, another thing that people get quite caught up on is a really good song that they really like and they're really passionate about and they feel like they have to release it to the world. They have to make sure that people see it. Yeah. Or the opposite is like, I'm going to stop working on this song because I don't think it's good enough because people won't like it. Mm. And it's like, that's not the point the point is you have to like it and you have to finish the damn thing <laughs> then you can think about okay what do i do with this end product do i want to release it eh, maybe not uh mm. if you do great well what avenue do i want to take for that am i gonna release it independently am i gonna send it to labels maybe you get knocked back from labels and then you take a step back and go maybe it's not so great after all but mm. now i've got mm. an even better record i've just finished like so it's it's there's a lot of resilience to take with music production i think but again it's it's taking this approach of you know treating your end product as you know the thing that you judge not the not the process so to speak
0: definitely i mean you learn from doing mm. right like there's no way around it like the only way you get better is by making mistakes And going all right well i'll adjust that course correct and
1: fix that in the next session right Mm -hmm. it'd be like saying to a swimmer like uh you know if you want to get better at swimming only swim half a lap you know like you do (laughs) that you drown (laughs) you got (laughs) to swim the whole lap and start doing some races and being competitive with it um Mm. and just keep doing it that's the only way you can get better at something definitely
0: because i find um when speaking to, well, from my experience as well, because we all started somewhere and, you know, you, you shit at the start, right? Like mm. everyone Um And then speaking to a lot of, because I'm mentoring as well, like mm. I speak to a lot of beginners. Um, they're just not finishing stuff enough. Like they, like, you know, sometimes they'll have maybe like three ideas and that's what they've written the last few months. And I'm like, mm. well, it's because you're not finishing more, you know, like it's fine for them to be not good enough. And it's it's actually, I remember, I think it was Spend you remember Spender C? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The loot and Plunder and not loot and Plunder, sorry, um the Hump Day project and stuff. Mm. Um, shout out to all those guys because they're all talented. Yeah. But um uh I remember him saying that oh what was it? Oh, I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> but um oh no, it it takes um it takes an awareness to know that you're not up to scratch yet. Like yeah. to to know that it's shit is like a good thing. Like, or know that it's not up to where you want it to be because there's room to move and you're going to improve, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess for pro- young producers or any producers that are trying to upskill myself as well, man, like I'm always trying to get better, you know, um, it's just to keep doing it, finish.
1: 100%, 100%. And again, that self-awareness aspects, like without being overly, overly critical, I would say, because again, like, yeah, if you're overly critical, you end up like me and, have been producing for like six, seven years and hardly fucking release anything. So, (laughs) you know, you don't want to go the full end of the scale of that. But yeah, you definitely want to um, not, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think, man, like you don't want to conflate your ego with it and think that, you Mm. know, a 30 second loop that you've created is going to change the world musically. Like, (laughs) it's probably not. Like, you know, if it's a cool track, awesome. But... Finish the damn thing, then make a call as to whether it's good or not. And good is such an arbitrary term that is open for interpretation. Like, Isn't it? Yeah. You know, like you could make the best club banger ever and there's still going to be people who are turned off by it. Yeah, they think it's just a piece of shit because it's not their style. Yeah. I literally, this is no word of a lie. When I'm writing now and I'm trying to like write something that's maybe like vocal driven or whatever it might be. I'm not even thinking about, like, what- I I guess I'm thinking about, like, how would a club respond to this or, you know, if it's more vocal driven, like, how would a radio station, like, listen to this? Mm. For this album that I'm writing anyways, I'm thinking to myself, would my mum like this? Like, if this came on to frickin' Mixwo 2.3 in, like, 20 years time, would somebody listen to this song and go, oh, this is catchy? You know, like some like throwback radio kind of station or whatever, and like, oh, I remember this song. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's more my goal, I guess, is finding those Mm. moments where I can be like, this is good enough because it feels timeless to me. Like, yeah. And it's not someone being like, Oh, it's just this kind of genre. So only people who like drum and bass can listen to this song, Mm. you know, like it's it's it breaks genre boundaries. It cuts through to the point where my mum or my auntie could listen to it and go, "Oh, this is a nice bop," and you know, you get still get around it kind of thing. Yeah, one hundred percent, bro. That's
0: cool.
3: Mm.
0: No, it's good, man. Um, well, we've spoken about a lot of stuff, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. um I thought I'd round it out with one last question. Unless you wanted to touch on anything else, was there anything we haven't sort of crossed?
1: Um not necessarily i think like from the the technical aspects and you know what i'm doing i've kind of talked a little bit about you know some of the cheat codes and stuff um mm-hmm. I, I probably would say like for myself if anyone's listening in their base in adelaide um you know i do teach music production now as well um so if, along with my full-time job uh, where i'm a trainer and assessor for an insurance company Um, I do also work at uh, TAFE SA currently as well. So, teaching music production, Mm -hmm. Um, just doing their short course currently. Um, But, yeah, if anyone locally wants to get into writing tracks and wants to learn more about Ableton, um, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a five-week short course. So, super uh, entry-level, just learning the basics kind of thing. Um, And, yeah, we've sort of focused more on those Cheat code aspects, sort of thing. You know, like I've, I have a cert for in sound production, so I can go right deep down the rabbit hole of signal mm. flow and, and yeah, all of the real high level nerdy kind of stuff. Um, but this course is, is very entry level, very basic sort of thing. And, um, yeah, from, from the, the tech side of things, you know, to be honest, like when, when you sent through the questions, I was thinking about like plugins and stuff. Mm. I, I'm not as, much of a geek on that settings things because i use so many stock plugins yeah. um i've i've got heaps of uh third party ones that i use but i'll i'll be very selective on which ones i use mm. like i've kind of got go-to's for everything now like go-to saturation plug a go-to chorus plugin, yeah um, instruments all that kind of stuff and um a lot of my productions are more sample based anyways so uh when i was thinking about it, i was like my top three plugins would be like pretty boring realistically i'd be like no it's cool know, what are they uh i would be like kickstart 2 uh for yep. side chaining, just super quick easy way to sidechain signals having the updated version uh with like kickstart 2 um and being able to it it's a little bit more like um ah oh, the um one from uh, Steve Duda, X for Records. Because you that, can sidechain certain frequencies, do you mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. So mm. it's got like frequency band sidechaining, and you can actually, the, the original version of Kickstart, you could only set the um, sort of preset curves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, whereas now you can actually drag the start points for those as well. And that's cool. Um, yeah, because you yeah, have got a bit the, more I've control the, over it. Um, I find it, it, Syncs up with, um, uh, you know, because again, I'm using Ableton, so you can route your kick drum straight into Kickstart 2, um, which means, you know, if there's no kick drum, then it's not side-chaining. Um, used to have to do in the past where you have to, like, automate the on-off switch. You don't have to do that anymore. So, there's a lot more. Um, I'll have to, to have a look at that because I got stuff. the up,
0: I got the update and I've just been slack and haven't really looked at it. And I've just been yeah. using the old one, even though I've still got it. But um. But that's a good point. That might be pretty straightforward. But I've actually I'm mentoring a few a few students as well, and um they they don't use kick they don't use any um, sidechain plugin, and they're just mm. doing it the old school way, which is fine. But I'm like, man, this is going to save you a lot of time because mm. I find it a bit annoying to go the old traditional sidechain with a compressor and send it off to a ghost kick drum or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll that's use that for um like I've got a couple of tracks that are more like yeah, down-tempo, hip-hop kind of influence, like I was saying before, like a bit more like Cajunada kind of vibe, R&B-ish, soul sort of flavour. Yeah. And so that I get that sort of more sloppy, slower kind of sidechain Ooh. feel, are I you will you use... Are you talking about a ghost, sorry? Yeah, so... yeah. So like I'll use that old school sidechain technique of actually yeah. putting the compressor on, routing it to a ghost kick drum, doing all those kinds of things. Um, or I'll do what- um, producers like Will Sparks do where rather than having the ghost signal as a um, kick drum, use a hi-hat. And the reason you do that is because the hi-hat has a really sharp transient, really sharp sort of uh, yeah click point transient. But then you control your side chain sort of curve with just the release. Um, um, and have, have it a bit more... can you do that with
0: decay is that the same thing
1: like decay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so it just has a bit more influence over how your curve can be shaped yeah that um, makes sense yeah compared to like if you side train it to the kick and you've got this really full sort of full sausage looking mm. kick drum yeah. um it ducks too much of the signal out so yeah just having a bit more control there um, so we, and would you use an what like an open hat for that uh no, nah, so just like a something with a real short, sharp closed. transient, whether oh, it be okay. like super closed, short from, or yeah, like a closed hat. Um just so you just get the transient sort of frequencies there.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I didn't think of that. Cause I just last night I was just working on something like um the first genre that I've done that hasn't been four to the four in like a couple of years, which was Breakbeat. And mm. um I was like shit, how the f- how do I sidechain this again? Like, because yeah. <laughs> like, it was like boom, 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 or something like that, you know? And yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had to do it the old school way of like grab your compressor and send it to her. So I'll, I'll try that actually. Yeah, yeah. What so, instances uh, would you do that? Uh, is that beneficial for just so you have more control
1: using it? Yeah, a, yeah. Like, Having a bit more control and influence over the curve for yeah. those instances where um, you want to. Yeah, I guess have the side chaining maybe feel a bit more sort of slower and a bit sloppier kind of thing. Mm. Think of it as, the way I think of it anyways is like, if I wanted to make a track that sounded like a 90s style hip hop beat, well, they didn't have, you know, volume shaper and yeah, like episodal, old school side chaining techniques. So, yeah, that's, that's what it. I'm going to use to make my track sound like theirs sort of thing. Um Good call. So that that is one, but again, for dance tracks, I always go to Kickstart 2. Um, I've also used a lot of um I, I use the the classic kind of stuff. Like I use um uh ozone for you know mastering and stuff like that. I'll use yes, yeah. yep. you know, everything of silent, spire, serum, massive, all of those instruments. Ones that I've been using as my go-tos though that I do recommend checking out is um, uh, TAL or TAL. They've got a really cool instrument called the UNO LX and that's like a soft synth that's based on a lot of retro um, style sort of synthesizer of Roland keyboards and things like that. They've actually got a free chorus plugin though, the Chorus LX. Mm. That is like the best chorus plugin on the market and it's free. Um, It does crank the uh, volume of your track a little bit, but you just turn that down and uh, the actual effect that it places on your track has this real rich warmth and sort of analog feel to it. Very cool. 80s style chorus plugin. Super, super nice. Um, and the other one that I always go to oh, is What was that Bell, called, sorry uh, So it's the TAL or Tal Chorus. Plugin. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that before. Um, and then the other one that has become a go-to for me uh, for Distortion and saturation. it is uh is by a company called Kazrog, K-A-Z-R-O-G, mm. and it's called True Iron. Yeah. It's uh a saturation style plugin. Mm. I actually got the tip off on this uh from a Facebook group I'm in um that uh Aussie producer Ivan Goh is in, oh, and yeah. he Posting that all the time with like synths and stuff that he's been trying out and effects. And he mentioned this one. So, yeah, the Kazrog True Iron, amazing saturation plugin, uh, oh. based on like again, the hardware sort of saturation, yep. uh, effect. And it has, uh, has this mode, uh, like morph mode is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, enables harmonic sort of. Morphing of your sound. So normally like saturation, uh, it doesn't necessarily sort of stay harmonic, so to speak. Um, it's more just straight distortion and and it can come out with all sorts of weird frequencies and stuff coming into your mm. signal. Mm. This one enables harmonic structure morphing, so it focuses on um like emphasizing the harmonics you already have in your signal rather than creating brand new ones if that makes sense
3: yeah yeah yeah. yep
1: so very very clean style of saturation which literally just to me feels like you're running through an analog hardware saturation sort of distortion plugin Mm -hmm. super crisp i'll put it on uh baseline since i'll put it on my master channel to beef it up yep um the the sort of Voicing where it's emulating different kinds of saturation uh, effects uh, is also really cool. Um, Again, you can make something sound really crisp and and clean or have something feel like it's being slammed through an amplifier. Um, So, Mm -hmm. very, very cool plug-in that one. Cool,
0: bro, Good recommendation. I'll... I will definitely um I reckon I'll have to give those a go. I just got bloody the pro Q, actually. You know, the, Yeah, yeah. Every, I mean, everyone's had it and it's just an EQ, but uh, I want to see what the hype is about. But um but yeah, man, I, I thought um we better we've we've spoken about a lot of stuff, as I said, and it's been great. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to summarize if you this is something asked. needs no sleep, and I'd like to ask you as well, um mm-hmm. if you could you know, summarize and sort of go back and tell yourself, like, maybe some advice, you know, your younger self maybe 10 years ago as you're jumping into the scene. Um, is there any sort of advice you'd give to that, give to your younger self?
1: Yeah, I think it was interesting, like, listening to that episode, I, I am definitely someone who does regret a lot of the sort of the past experiences that, you know, maybe let's just call that missed opportunities more than anything, like, you sure. um, as a little kid, my uh, nan was an amazing pianist and I had the opportunity, I guess, to learn from her when I was a little kid. But, you know, back then for me, uh, the the thought of writing my own songs and and all that sort of stuff seemed out of reach mm. and particularly learning like classical piano. You do a lot of just covers effectively, You're learning how to play other people's music, which mm. didn't excite me. The reason I got into DJing really was so that I could, you know, play other people's music, but creatively. And then that led to, I want to make my own music. Of course. Finally worked out, oh, music production software. That's a thing. Cool. Let's Mm. look into this. Um, But yeah, like if I could go back and, you know, obviously learn piano from my nan, that would have been incredible. I think more so though, once I started making music and entered into that kind of creative space, um, there, there are ideas that still sit on my computer from, like, 2015-ish where I still know it's a really cool idea, really cool hook, really cool melody, whatever, mm-hmm. and I wish a younger me had just bloody finished them. And, again, I think it was because I spent a lot of time um, either just, like, goofing off with mates and, and not spending enough quality time on music um Mm. it was always just on the side kind of thing um and again just not releasing enough like not actually finishing enough tracks um so yeah i've kind of had to learn the hard way i think that um the only way you can actually have success is by finishing stuff and releasing it and putting it out and being seen so risk being seen i guess is is the thing like I learned a lot from and draw upon uh, this great Jim Carrey speech where he was talking at like a college or whatever. Oh, yeah. And he gave a lot of really insightful advice. But one of the statements that stuck out to me was risk being seen in all of your glory. And I love that as a as an idea. It's like it's mm-hmm. a risky thing and a daunting thing putting yourself out there to the world. Um, but, yeah, I tell my younger self to not worry about that so much and just risk being seen, you know. Right, man. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's a great call. Hmm. Um,
0: Pleasure. And you did mention learning the hard way. And I think like it's just, it's the best way to learn, isn't it? Uh, Yeah. It's just a strong reminder to go, well, better do it differently next time. But no, it's cool, man. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, brother. Um, It's been great to catch up. And um, I think I learned some stuff, you know, just through our
1: conversation. So um, I really appreciate it. No, pleasure as always, man. And um, yeah, it's it's been an awesome trip for me even as well because um people like yourself and and mike and stuff like you are the guys who when i first started DJing i massively looked up to and respected and um would have been you know packing myself and nervous about you yeah. know interacting with in clubs or whatever but um being able to you know call you guys mates now is is you know if i told younger callum that he would have you know tripped out kind of thing so yeah being on this podcast and chatting with you and hanging out and stuff um yeah absolute pleasure on my end
2: man
0: 100 percent, brother um you're welcome and i'm I'm stoked to have you on man that's so good and um congratulations again on the success especially lately thank you and um more to come
1: hey definitely here's hoping i don't know what the next year will kind of look like with um you know where i'll be going what i'll be doing all this stuff in this competition win but um Mm. The goal really is, you know, release this album, get it out to the world, yep. play all the tracks off it um, and just keep putting tunes out, you know.
0: Cool, bro. Yeah, well, anyone listening, man, hit up Lezen and um, follow his journey because he's a talented producer and more to come, I reckon, more success for sure.
1: He's hoping, yeah. So on socials, um, laser Music, L-E-Z-E-N music hopefully don't spell that one out <laughs> uh, yeah. but yeah that's me on all the socials um mostly on uh instagram and all of that um but yeah just keep in touch uh next single is coming out real soon i'm just trying to sort out the distribution for that so i haven't locked in a date but uh it's coming in the sort of coming month hopefully Cool.
0: and then i guess other people can just catch you on fresh 927 as well on fridays at six to eight yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. So Adelaide time, you can stream us online uh, anywhere in the world. So if you are listening from overseas or interstate or whatever, um, tune in from the Fresh website, fresh927.com.au. But if you're in Adelaide, tuning in 6 to 8 p.m. Friday nights. And, uh, yeah, nothing but good vibes. (laughs) That's
0: it. Well, on that note, we'll leave it it at that. So um, thanks, guys. You've been listening on the Music Maker Podcast with Lezen, and we'll see you next time. Yeah thank you for listening to the music maker podcast if you like the show feel free to share this episode or leave a review you can also personally reach out to myself on instagram and let me know your thoughts
2: at flash89music